0: chapter four of the story of red feather by edward s ellis this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter four the consultation on the roof melville now examined the fix of the chieftain more closely his struggles had hurt the skin about his neck and shoulders and there could be no doubt he was suffering considerably Clasping the dusky head with his hands, the youth turned it gently so that it offered the least possible resistance. Then he asked him to move his shoulders slightly to the left, and, while Melville pushed carefully but strongly, told him to exert himself, not hastily, but slowly, and with all the power at his command. Resting a minute or two, the attempt was renewed, and this time Redfeather succeeded in withdrawing for an inch or two, "'though the effort plainly caused him pain. "'That's right,' added Melville encouragingly. "'We shall succeed. Try it again.' "'There was a vigorous scraping, tugging, and pulling, "'and all at once the head and shoulders vanished through the window. "'Redfeather was released from the vice. "'There, I knew you would be all right,' called the lad through the opening. "Goodbye, Redfeather.' the chief must have been not only confused and bewildered but chagrined by the exhibition made before the lad with his own warriors who had they possessed any sense of humour would have laughed at the sorry plight of their leader stepping back from the window so as not to tempt any shot from the other sioux all of whom had gathered about the chief melville found himself in a dilemma shall i take redfeather at his word he asked himself shall i open the door and walk out with dot mount saladin and gallop off to barwell or wait there is little doubt from what followed that the former would have been the wiser course of the youth despite the treacherous character of the sioux leader he was so relieved by his release from what he felt at the time was a fatal snare and by the kindness received from the boy that his heart was stirred by something akin to gratitude and he would have restrained his warriors from violence. Had Melville been alone, he would not have hesitated. But he was irresolute on account of Dot. Looking down in her sweet, trustful face, his heart misgave him. He felt that, so long as she was with him, he could assume no risks. He was comparatively safe for a time in the building, while there was no saying what would follow if he should place himself and dot in the power of the indians that had set out to destroy and slay besides if Redfeather meant to keep his promise he could do so without involving the brother and sister in the least danger he had only to ride off with his warriors when melville would walk forth call saladin to him mount and ride away if he is honest was his decision he will do that "'and I will wait until they are only a short distance off "'and then we'll gallop to the settlement. "'Come,' he said, taking the hand of Dot. "'Let's go upstairs.' "'Why don't you stay down here, Mel? "'Well, I'm afraid to leave you alone, "'because you are so apt to forget your promises to me. "'And since I want to go upstairs, I must take you with me.' She made no objection, and holding Susie clasped by one arm, She placed the other hand in her brother's, and, side by side, the two walked up the steps to the larger room, occupied by their parents when at home. "'Now,' said Melville, speaking with great seriousness, "'you must do as I tell you, Dot, for if you don't, the bad Indians will surely hurt you, and you will never see Susie again.' She gave her pledge, with such earnestness, that he could depend upon her from that time forward. You must not go near the window unless I tell you to do so. The reason for that is that some of the Indians will see you, and they will fire their guns at you. If the bullet does not strike Dot and kill her, it will hit Susie, and that will be the last of her. The best thing you can do is to lie down on the bed and rest. Dot obeyed cheerfully, reclining on the couch, with her round, plump face against the pillow, where a few minutes later she sank into a sweet sleep poor child little did she dream of what was yet to come she was safe so long as she remained thus since though a bullet fired through any one of the windows must cross the room it would pass above the bed missing her by several feet relieved of all present anxiety concerning her melville now gave his attention to redfeather and his warriors that which he saw was not calculated to add to his peace of mind The chief and his five followers had remounted their ponies and ridden to a point some two hundred yards distant on the prairie, where they halted as if for consultation. "'Just as I feared,' said the youth, feeling it safe to stand before the upper window and watch every movement. Redfeather has already begun to repent of his pledge to me, and his warriors are trying to persuade him to break his promise. I don't believe they will find it hard work to change his mind.' But whatever was said— it was plain that the Sioux were much in earnest. All were talking, and their arms swung about their heads, and they nodded with a vigor that left no doubt all were taking part in the dispute, and each one meant what he said. Where there is so much wrangling, it looks as if some were in favor of letting us alone, thought Melville, who added the next minute. I don't know that that follows, for it may be that they are quarrelling over the best plan of slaying us, with no thought on the part of any one that they are bound in honour to spare us. By and by the ponies, which kept moving uneasily about, took position so that the heads of all were turned fully or partly towards the building from which the lad was attentively watching their movements. During these next exciting moments Melville did not forget Saladin, the sagacious animal being no longer troubled by those that were so anxious to steal him, had halted at a distance of an eighth of a mile, where he was eating the grass as though there was nothing unusual about his surroundings. "'I hope you will be wise enough, old fellow,' muttered his young master, "'to keep them at a distance. That shot couldn't have hit you, or if it did it caused nothing more than a scratch.' The horse's wisdom was tested the next minute. One of the warriors withdrew from the group and began riding at a gallop toward Saladin as he drew near he brought his pony down to a walk and evidently hoped to calm the other's fears sufficiently to permit a still closer approach melville's heart throbbed painfully as the distance lessened and he began to believe he was to lose his priceless animal after all why didn't i think of it he asked himself placing his finger in his mouth and emitting a shrill whistle that could have been heard a mile distant it was a signal with which saladin was familiar he instantly raised his head and looked towards the house. As he did so, he saw one of his mounted enemies slowly approaching, and within a dozen rods. It was enough, and breaking into a gallop, he quickly ended all hope of his capture by that Sioux brave. That signal of Melville Clarendon had also been heard by all the Sioux who must have thought it was due to that alone that the warrior failed to secure the valuable animal. The youth saw the group looking inquiringly at the house, as if to learn from what point the sound came, and the expression on the dark faces was anything but pleasing to him. He wished to give Redfeather credit for the delay on the part of the Sioux. Their actions showed that they were hotly disputing over something, and what was more likely than that it was the question of assailing the house and outbuildings. But there were several facts against this theory. Redfeather held such despotic sway over his followers that it was hard to understand what cause could arise for any dispute with them about the disposal to be made of the brother and sister. If he desired to leave them alone, what was to prevent him riding off and obliging every one of his warriors to go with him? This was the question which Melville continually asked himself, and which he could not answer as he wished, being unable to drive away the belief that the chief was acting a double part. The Sioux had reached some decision, for on the return of the one who had failed to secure Saladin they ceased disputing and rode towards the window from which Melville was watching them. Their ponies were on a slow walk, and the expression on their forbidding faces was plainly seen as their eyes ranged over the front of the building. The youth had withdrawn so as to stand out of range, but to end the doubt in his mind he now stepped out in full view of every one of the warriors. The doubt was removed at once. Previous to this, the lad had raised the lower sash so as to give himself the chance to fire, and as he stood, his waist and shoulders were in front of the upper part of the glass. It so happened that Red Feather and one of his warriors were looking at the very window at which he appeared. Like a flash, both guns went to their shoulders and were discharged. But Melville had enough warning to leap back, as the jingle and crash of glass showed how well the miscreants had aimed. Stirred to the deepest anger, he pointed his own weapon outward and fired into the party, doing so with such haste that he really took no aim at all. It is not likely that his bullet had gone anywhere near the Sioux, but it had served the purpose of warning them that he was as much in earnest as themselves. Melville placed a cartridge in the breech of his rifle, with as much coolness as a veteran, and prepared himself for what he believed was to be a desperate defense of himself and sister. It must not be thought that he was in despair, for when he came to look over the situation he found much to encourage him. In the first place, although besieged by a half-dozen fierce Sioux, he was sure the siege could not last long. Whatever they did must be done within a few hours. While it was impossible to tell the hour when his parents started from Barwell, it must have been quite early in the morning, and there was every reason to hope that they would reach the settlement by noon at the latest. The moment they did so they would learn that Melville had left long before for home, and therefore had taken the upper trail, since, had he not done so, the parties would have met on the road. True, Mr. Clarendon would feel strong hope that his son, being so well-mounted, would wheel about and follow without delay the counsel in the letter. But he was too shrewd to rely fully on such hope. What could be more certain than that he would instantly gather a party of friends and set out to their relief?' The great dread of the youth was that the Sioux would set fire to the buildings, and he wondered many times that this was not done at the time Redfeather learned of the flight of the family. Melville glanced at Dot, and seeing she was asleep, he decided to go downstairs and make a fuller examination of the means of defense. "'Everything seems to be as secure as it can be,' he said, standing in the middle of the room and looking around. "'That door has already been tried and found not wanting.' The only other means of entrance is through the windows, and after Redfeather's experience, I'm sure neither he nor any of his warriors will try that. There were four windows, two at the front and two at the rear, all of the same shape and size. There was but the single door, of which so much had already been said, and therefore the lower portion of the building could not be made safer. The stone chimney, so broad at the base that it was more than half as wide as the side of the outside wall, was built of stone and rose a half-dozen feet above the roof. It was almost entirely out of doors, but was solid and strong. "'If the Indians were not such lazy people,' said Melville, looking earnestly at the broad fireplace, in front of which stood the new-fashioned stove, "'they might set to work and take down the chimney, but I don't think there's much danger of that.' He had hardly given expression to the thought when he fancied he heard a slight noise on the outside and close to the chimney itself. He stepped forward and held his ear to the stones composing the walls of the fireplace. Still, the sounds were faint, and he then touched his ear against them, knowing that solid substances are much better conductors of sound than air. He now detected the noise more plainly, but it was still so faint that he could not identify it. He was still striving hard to do so when, to his amazement, Dot called him from above stairs. Where are you, Mel? Is that you I can hear crawling about over the roof? End of chapter 4